Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Well, greetings this beautiful Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. So good to see everybody today. And I guess the groundhog so far is right. It's, the winter is still around, still getting chilly uh, outside, but we are thankful that we have a nice warm place to be in today. Amen? Psalm chapter uh, 8 says this, says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Let us pray. Lord, your name is excellent. Lord, we come today lifting you up because you alone are worthy of our praise. Lord, we glorify your name. Lord, I pray that the works that we do in our life, Lord, glorify you, that they point to you, Lord, that they never point to us. Lord, I pray that we would always understand our role in what you are doing, Lord, and that without you we can do nothing. Lord, today as we come into your presence, uh, wondering why you have invited us of all the people in the world we are humbled by the fact that we know that we do not deserve an invitation to the great feast, but excited that you have chosen us, because if you have chosen us, that makes us very special. And as we gather in your presence today, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us from your word. It is your word that changes us, Lord. Lord, speak to us in the way that you spoke to the void and light appeared, speak to us and change us. Make us these new creatures, Lord. Help us to be in us those old things that are passed away. And behold, make all things new in us. Make all things new in the world through us, Lord, as your kingdom comes and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, hear our prayers today. Lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Remain standing just for a little bit more here. And I'm going to preach to you a sermon called God the Builder. He is God the builder, the watcher, and the blesser. Our text today is going to be Psalm 127, and I'll read it in its entirety. It's only five verses long, and uh, we'll see what the Lord has.
has to say to us. The image there is about a queen that came to visit Solomon, called the Queen of Sheba. We'll talk about her in just a minute. Psalm 127 says this, a song of ascents of Solomon. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to set up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath this quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Let us pray. Lord God, we love you and we thank you that you are the builder. We pray today that we would see you after we go through this psalm as the builder, as the watcher, as the blesser. And Lord, we would understand our place in the work that you do. Lord, quicken to our hearts and minds something lovely and beautiful and restful and peaceful. Give us peace that passes understanding as we trust that your work and you uh, never sleep, that you never slumber, Lord, and that in our weakness, Lord, you become strong. In Christ's name we pray all God's people said amen. You may be seated. King David had longed to build a permanent house for the worship of God and to take it from the mobile tents of the tabernacle so that it was more like the majestic palace that he lived in on Mount Zion. But God did not allow David to build it, but he did allow his son, Bathsheba's son even, to build this edifice. It was a marvel of beauty and mastery. And we heard a little bit about it uh, in our Old Testament reading today from 1 Kings chapter 10. Cedar lined the walls and the porticos and the finely crafted fir planks covered the floors of the holy places within the temple. Olive trees and cedar beams carved in beautiful uh, representations of blooming flowers and the beauty of nature all covered in gold within and without the temple. It was magnificent. Everybody say, it was magnificent. And in fact, Jeff read 1 Kings 3, not 10, but 1 Kings 10 tells us of the memorable visit that we see pictured above here to the courts of this kingdom of an exotic queen called the Queen of Sheba, who had come from afar. Most uh, historians and archaeologists believe she came from Yemen, um, although a number of others believe it was from Africa. Uh, and there's a, there's a whole story about all of that. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly where these things are, so we are left with what we can garner from history. She came, though, to Jerusalem, with 
an immense load of baggage, uh, heavily loaded with gifts of spices, a full menagerie of animals, treasures of precious stones, maybe rubies and emeralds and beryl and onyx and whatever stones that they would consider to be precious, diamonds, no doubt. And she brought all of this to the treasury of Israel. She came with questions, all of which Solomon could answer, and she stood in awe as he explained all things that she wondered about. She would say, I don't know exactly what she asked, but she might say, you know, what's the formula for the fall of gravity? <laughs> you know, I don't know, what, I don't know what she asked Solomon. Stuff she didn't know, stuff she wanted to understand. And she, as she would ask Solomon, Solomon would, it said, he told her everything. Anything she wanted to know, things that she wanted to know and didn't know and wanted to know, Solomon knew the answers. The house that Solomon built was splendor beyond comparison with any place of worship and devotion to any God, small g, because there are no gods, plural, right? With a capital G, there's only one. But plenty of temples and places of worship had been built. Plenty of altars had been built to them, but none of them compared, the Bible says, to what Solomon built here in Jerusalem. And as we have been talking about these past few weeks, it would all, as we know, everything that was made and described and and and. I can't even imagine what it was like. It was all destroyed. As wondrous as it was. And we know this would not have surprised the wisest man who ever lived, save Christ. Well, there you have it. Let's leave it alone. Solomon came to see that all the work of his hands could perish and be forgotten. But the things that God does cannot be shaken. Vanity of vanities, said the preacher and the prophet, as he wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, everything under the sun, all is vanity and vexation of the Spirit. People of God, we build. But what we build is wood hay and stubble, and sometimes we may venture to build of precious things as well. But God is the builder in the end of all things. Psalm 127 was written by the great builder of the most magnificent of buildings of his time. 1 Kings chapter 3 tells us that he built his own palace with a throne with no equal, made of gold-covered ivory, that you had to walk up six steps each step with two lions on each step. So a throne made of ivory covered in gold with 12 lions surrounding it. Can you even imagine a throne like that? He not only built the, the palace, he built the temple and he also built the wall around Jerusalem. You see, because he was such a great builder... And because what he did in his life was so enormous and magnificent, his words carry weight, the weight of his great accomplishments. Imagine this, you know, if, if, 
if you or I would say something like, um, you know, having all the money in the world doesn't mean anything, but I hardly have enough to buy groceries. Does anyone really believe me? You know, if you have all the money in the world, it's really not going to be any great thing for you while I have billions and billions. If I have billions and billions and I say that, it kind of matters, right? When you hear Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk say, you know, in the end, having a lot of money isn't really that all that big of a deal. It's, it's means something different than when you and I say it. Amen? His words carried the weight of his accomplishments. The greatness of this man and his accomplishments amplify the meaning. We build, and we may even build better than anyone has ever built, but what we build cannot compare and endure like what God builds. Unless he teaches our hands to build and teaches our hands to war or whatever it is that we do, all of our efforts are vanity. Psalm 127 as we jump into it and look at it verse by verse, we get with it what not every psalm has. It comes with an inspired heading. The inspired heading simply reads, A Song of Ascents of Solomon. And you'll see why I included uh, the Queen of Sheba. We'll get into that here in just a moment. Um, because it says something very much that has to do even with this inspired heading. This is the eighth of the 15 Psalms. What are they called? The Psalms of Ascent, right? It just said a Psalm of Ascent, right? And it is one of two Psalms attributed to the authorship of Solomon, Psalm 72 being the other one. And so when we are in 1 Kings chapter 10, uh, if you begin reading the story, you can read about it there starting in verse 1. It says, When the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon... Concerning what? It, concerning the name of the Lord. She came to prove him with hard questions. 1 Kings 10.2 says, And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train. That doesn't mean she had a steam engine and a locomotive. That means she had a big, long uh, uh, row of you know, camels and horses or mules or whatever. She had a long servants carrying things, a long train. She, they, we use the word train when we talk about uh, a, a woman, you know, she comes down and she's got this train behind her, you know. And so this queen had a following of all of these gifts and things with her. Spices, much gold, precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all of her questions, and there was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he built, everybody say the house that he built, and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and the cupbearers, and here's the, here's the line I'm wanting you not to miss, and his ascent by which he went up to the house of the Lord. When she saw that, that's the last thing it's mentioned. It says when she saw that, it said there was no more spirit left in her. <laughs> She's a queen. She's got gold and precious stone and spices and 
animals of all kind and she's a, a, a sovereign of the nation where she is and she comes and when she sees what he's got and when she sees what he built and when she sees how he worships and when she sees Solomon going up walking up the steps to the temple in the robes that he wore with the high priest and the outfit that he had on it said that she did not even have any spirit left in her that she basically it's what we would use today she passed out wow amazing she had no spirit left in her when she saw his ascent by which he went up to the house of the lord i believe this is why this psalm 127 is listed in the psalms of ascent because they're wanting us to picture solomon going up the temple what a temple that he built dressed right when jesus talks about somebody looking beautiful ashley it says solomon in all his glory, was not arrayed like as of one of these flowers that God makes. So Jesus is comparing that Solomon was decked out and he looked good. So much so that the queen of Sheba swooned and passed out, or nearly passed out, just at the very sight of the magnificence of it all. Could you imagine being that awesome, Titus? Could you imagine that? I cannot. She said to the king, It was a true report that I heard of my own land of thy acts of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came. And my eyes had seen it and beheld the half was not told to me. <laughs> so here she is. She's swooned. She's about passed out. She's seen the most magnificent, most beautiful, most spectacular thing she's ever seen in her life. And she nearly passes out. And she said, oh, I heard about it. And what they said couldn't even tell half the story. The half had never been told. This is more magnificent. How many things in life have you ever experienced that when you experience them after them, you're like, this was way better than what anybody said? Howbeit I believe not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen and to behold the half was not told of thy wisdom and thy prosperity. It exceeds the fame which I heard. So it's with that picture, guys. This is the man that said, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Does that give a little bit more context to the words? The builder that God chose that God called out. God turned down David, a man after his own heart, the singer, the giant killer, the amazing David, for this man to be the one to build it. And so if we were going to say anything about Solomon, we would say he was the builder of all builders. But the builder of all builders says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it except the lord keep the city the watchman waketh but in vain you see we build but god's part in our work is everything we watch but god's watching is what makes the ultimate difference god is the prime mover he is the prime builder and the one who's watching matters most that's who he is he wants us to build everybody say he wants me to build but it's his part in what we build that makes most of the difference. 
coming to understand this is not something that we come to know immediately. This I've been telling Stephen, we, as we're talking about the school, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. And we even did this in our, uh, our, our premarital counseling. We were in a lesson. I said, Stephen, this is not 101 here. This is going to be 201. This might be 301. This might be 401. This is not 101. And so what we're going to talk about for a few minutes here in Psalm 127 is not 101. You see, when you hear, uh, Sister Liz, that God is the builder, you know what we do? We say, well, then just let him build. If he's the builder, we say, oh, it's God that saves people. And sometimes, you know, we say, Sister Jackie, we say, well, I hope he does. Go ahead, Lord, and win them all. We say, the Lord is the watcher. And we say, well, we don't need to watch. We'll just do what we want to do. We'll live how we want to live. That's what 101, that's what baby Christians do. You see, understanding God's sovereignty can be destructive on people when they misunderstand it because 101, when we're little, when we're carnal, when we're foolish, we say, well, if God is in charge and if God is doing everything, what does it matter what I do? But Psalm 27 says, unless the Lord build the house, they that labor, everybody say, they that labor. So a man who built better than anybody ever built wasn't telling us not to build. A man who helped design the beautiful blooms that were gilded in gold, that were made of the best wood in the world, the man who had pillars uh, around this temple that were so incredibly magnificent from the, 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 the forests of this great uh, king named Hiram, said there were, no, there, were never, there were trees that were never seen like this anywhere. And they put them in the you know, around the temple. This was a magnificent thing. So he built something amazing. But sometimes we think that what we do doesn't matter, and so we don't put the excellence into it that we need to put into it. It is true that if we're going to build a school, Stephen, God is the builder. But does that mean we don't study, that we don't put together right lessons, that we don't organize it properly, that we don't do? No, we should do the best that we can do. But in the end, what I hope doesn't happen is that they make a statue out of Stephen out front. Says, look what he did. Now, if we did, maybe the statue would say, quoting Stephen, you know what? I can't believe God could do anything through a guy like me. But we get to, you know, we're, we're, we're strange people. We're so marred with sin. We're so messed up that when God does something good from us or we see good coming from us, we start to believe we're the source of it. That's another part of our 101. And we get to this in 1 Corinthians, which was our, our New Testament reading today. He said, you're carnal. You're messed up. I try, to, I try to feed you with meat, but I can't. I have to feed you milk. You're carnal. And I know you're carnal because there's envy and there's strife among you because you don't seem to understand. And I really thought it was funny. And I don't know how we ever started the first denomination with 1 Corinthians chapter 3 being in the Bible. I know you're carnal. Why? Because some people say, I'm of this denomination. I know you're carnal because some people say, I'm of that denomination. What are you talking about, Mark? I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. And one of them even says, I'm of Jesus. And you would think that would be okay. 
But Jesus is like, no, it's not okay. It's not okay for us to go, our brand is better than their brand, and what we've got is better than what they have. We're experiencing something down in uh, Asbury right now. That's still going on, apparently. And I told my wife if I were going to make another post about it, which I might, I might not, I don't know. But if I were going to say something, here's what I'd say. So I'll say it to you. You guys, could you guys be my social media outlet right here, right now? Could we socialize right now? G.K. Chesterton once said, he said, if, if every time, uh, you know, you talk to somebody about a man, half the people are saying he's too short and the other half are saying he's too tall, he might just be the right size. He said, Christianity gets complained about. And people say, Christianity's too hard. And another group says, Christianity's not hard enough. So Christianity's going to be what? It's going to be maybe the right size. Down in Asbury, the Reformed people, the Pharisees, the uh, people that know how to do everything just right, they're worried that what's going on at Asbury is a little bit too Pentecostal. Well, guess what, guys? The Pentecostals showed up. And you know what the Pentecostals say? We've been doing this all along. We're here to show you how to do it. You don't even know what's going on. It's not Pentecostal enough for the Pentecostals. And it's two Pentecostals for the non-Pentecostals. Maybe God is actually working. And when Fox News shows up and says, I want to do a story, they go, we don't really need you here. You can go home. We're not here to see how many likes we can get. We're not looking to see what we're doing going viral. We really like to pray. Could you leave us alone? You go, well, Mark, are you trying to say that what they got so real we ought to go down there and touch it? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is God hasn't called us to do nothing, and he's not also called us to work as though we do everything. Does that make sense? And so the 101 from Christianity that we're too carnal to understand what it means, that God has taught us from his word, here we are, we're building denominations, and we're building... Uh, our case and we're building our doctrines and we're building our sect instead of building the kingdom of God. We put our energy and our time and our efforts into these things. For what? For them to happen to them just the same thing that happened to Solomon. What happened to what he built, guys? I thought the Bible says if you build a gold, it will stay around. Did Solomon's gold make it? Or did it run through the streets of Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar's army sacked the city. What happened, guys? Streets of gold. You might find this ironic. There were streets of gold in the the temple, and those streets of gold melted and went out onto the stone streets, and there were streets of gold in that hellscape before there were streets of gold, you know, in the new Jerusalem that descends down from heaven. Will we be reminded in heaven as we walk on streets of gold that our gold melted and went on a street, but that still wasn't the street of gold that we were looking for. I'll read 1 Corinthians 3 and talk through it just a little bit as I work my way down this psalm. You heard it already, but we're going to look at it just for a second. He said, 1 Corinthians 3, 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual, but unto carnal, even unto babes. So he's saying, the fact that I have to tell this to you is a reminder of your immaturity. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither ye are now able. So he's writing this for who? He's writing it for anyone that's mature enough to understand it. And what he's doing is he's talking about what 
Psalm 127, it says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. For you are carnal, yet whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions. And when we say divisions, we think of it in a negative way, and really all divisions are negative in that way. When we have to build a side that separates us from other people, you know, you know something's right when you sit in Ben and Joy's restaurant with ministers and nobody there is talking about their brand. Nobody's trying to get you to be a part of it. They're there and they're saying, is God at work? Something, there's something good in that. Because the truth is, is, you know, we're not trying to sell a brand. We're not trying to be the one. We're not, that's not how this works. But you're not carnal, whereas there is among you envy, strife, divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one says, I'm of Paul, another says, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believe, even the Lord who gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Who gave it? Everybody say, God gave the increase. So then neither is he that plants anything. Neither he that waters anything, but God that giveth the increase. Everybody say, God is the builder. Verse 8, now he that plants and he that watereth are one. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So should we work? Everybody say, we should work. We should plant. We should water. We should go out speaking the Word of God and sowing the seed of the Word of God. It better be what we're doing. And we better be building too. But what Paul says here, when we build, we better pay attention. We better take heed what we're doing. Because if what we're doing is building something that's ours, building something that is named after us, building something that divides us from other people, what we're building is wrong. For we are laborers together with God. Now, some people don't even like to say that. Like some people, are, they're, so, they're so reformed. They're so Calvinistic. They're so believing God's sovereignty. They think that what you do doesn't matter. But it says right here, we are laborers together with God. So what does that make you think, Stephen? You think we should be working? Yeah, where we should be working. We need to care how we work. We need to be particular about how we work. We need to do it with excellence. We need to do it with the best that we've got. But we can't do it with the best that we've got that in the end after we've done it, we're mad that we did it better than everybody else or that nobody else got involved and worked so hard or that we did it so right, they're all so stupid. This is the sickness that inflicts us and divides us and causes envy and strife. And Paul says... What in the world makes you think he that waters is anyone or he that plants is anyone? It's Christ. He's the one. We are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, a wise master builder. Paul's saying he's the wise master builder? Yes, he is. Doing what? Building? Co-laboring with God? How'd you like to have Jeff God as a co-worker? You do. 
According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Another builds thereon, but let every man take heed how he builds. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. Now, when I read this, there's part of me that, 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 that rolls into this, oh, you know, I don't care if I get rewarded, and, and you know what, I'm a dirt bag, and, and, and you know what, I'm a sinner, and what does it really matter? There's part of me that does it, but the other part of me says, God cares about what I build. And what I build, He will prove whether it's going to last or not. And I'll tell you what, I want to build something that will last. I want to build something that is beautiful and lovely and generational and influential in the kingdom of God. I want to do that, but not for me. Because I'm co-laboring with God. And Solomon built the beautiful thing that he built, and in the end, God saw fit to judge it and destroy it. And he says, yeah, our work's going to be tried like that too. And he said, and our work's going to be destroyed like that too. But, right? Here's what he says. Every man shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. You see, people that don't want to work who think their work doesn't matter, who, does, who don't think, okay, you know what, if God's calling me to be a man of God, to be a minister, I'm going to memorize God's Word, I'm going to know God's Word, I'm going to learn it, I'm going to represent God the very best way that I can, I'm going to organize and do things and do things in an excellent way. Why? We just think we're going to go to heaven, He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, because of what? Because Jesus did well? I think that God allows us to work with Him and we can work well. If any man's work abide which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire. You know, if we build wrong, God is faithful to burn it up in our lifetime and still save us. So he's not trying to tell you your salvation depends on it, but there's something else. There's more than salvation. You might get, there's more that yes there is there is reward how many people want to be rewarded by God I do can I imagine that I will be I would hope that humility would dictate that we would say probably not I'll try my best and in the end it'll probably all burn like Solomon's work burned too but man I really want it to last I really want it to be beautiful and I want it to be lovely and I want to work hard to make it so this is not 101, this is 201, this is 301. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Aren't we glad this is not about us being saved? But see, our life isn't just about that. We've learned, right? Not only has God saved us, but he's given us work to do. Galat or Ephesians 2 says this, For by grace he is saved through faith, that's not of yourself, it's the gift of God, right? Not of works, lest any man should boast, right? But he says, verse 10, for, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should do. We should be working like what we do. We want it to be the best. We want it to be the most incredible, the most enduring. That's what we want to do. There have been some that have built things like that. You know, I, I love going down there to Asbury 
in seeing the beautiful buildings. They have beautiful buildings. The little town, it's called Wiltmore, I think, Wiltmore, Kentucky. The college is better known than the town. I would love it if, you know, and I mentioned it in a sermon, and Stephen, I don't know if you, if you remember that I mentioned it, but you're, you're talking about today in your prayer. That's what I want. I want, I want for people to think that Mount Sterling was named because of how great it was. I want them to forget how great it wasn't. I want God to do something so magnificent here that people go, I'm going to Mount Sterling. <laughs> and they can see the gleaming city of God here in their minds, and they believe it was like this all along when it was named. So they named it that, huh? Yeah, I can see why. And go, well, you didn't really see it when the water plant didn't work and the storehouses were empty and the, you know, there were broken out windows and unfinished. You didn't see it then, but oh, God did something good. I, I believe, I don't know if I will live to see it, but I believe and I hope that God has given us this building here that one day people will come from around the world to learn about the beautiful things of the Lord, that missionaries will go out of here, that people will go out of here who will give themselves fully to pastoring and to serving in churches and that people will uh, in this community be touched by the loving hands of the body of Christ here. That is a legacy I want. That children who had no homes will come into our homes and, and be loved and be raised up and be glorified. I want to build something that lasts like that. We are certainly called to watch, to watch out for our children, our husbands and our wives, our fellow church members. And once again, he's not saying, don't watch. In fact, the kind of watching that he mentions is the kind of thankless, tiring, exhausting, eye bloodshot watching that's what he's basically describing here do you know in the in the military if you're put on a watch and you fall asleep what do they do they shoot you and there's a story in the life of abraham lincoln you know this young good christian man had a rough day and fell asleep on the watch he was going to be executed i don't know if you know that story but that's what they do soldiers who fall asleep on the watch and they should be why because they stand between them and the total destruction of everyone asleep. You can't do that. You cannot not watch. You must watch. But unless the Lord keep the city, everybody say, the watchman waketh but in vain. He's not saying don't wake up. He's not saying don't stand your watch. He's not saying don't be on your post. He said be on your post. Be watching. Stay up late. But unless the Lord keep the city, the watchman watches in vain. Unless the Lord is watching, we, we lose sleep in vain as we strain ourselves, protecting and looking out for one another. Once again, he's not telling us not to watch, but understand who's watching matters most watch and pray but we will pray to the watcher of all things as we come to verse 2 he says it is vain for you to rise up early to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows you see 101 would say see i don't need to get up early i don't need to stay up late i don't need to work so hard i should just be relaxed that i'm doing a horrible job 
I should be okay with the fact that I'm letting everything slide because everything I let slide, nobody cares. In fact, God doesn't even care. And whatever I don't do, and whatever mess I don't clean up, and whatever bad job I do, God just completes it and makes it good. That's 101 stupid Christianity. 201 and 301 says, yeah, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows if God is not with you. It's like, it's like reading 1 Corinthians 13 and people get out of it. And I've heard it. People read 1 Corinthians 13 and say, see, miracles are stupid. Prophecies are dumb. Tongues aren't around anymore because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, then I've got what? Nothing. And they go, see, none of that stuff matters. That's not what 1 Corinthians 13 is about. 1 Corinthians 13 is taking the most amazing things that the church was experiencing at the time and he was putting them up there and he was saying, you can do this. You can do this amazing thing. You can understand all mysteries and all knowledge. You can give your body to be burned. He wasn't saying you shouldn't. He wasn't saying you shouldn't offer yourself a living sacrifice to God. He wasn't saying you shouldn't pray that you might prophesy and that you might edify the church by speaking the word of God and changing lives. He's saying if you can do all of that but you cannot love, it is nothing. But 101 Christianity reads 1 Corinthians 13 and says all that extracurricular stuff is dumb and that's what the chapter is about. You have to be a moron to come to that conclusion. That is not what is being going on, especially when you read chapter 14 and 15 and he explains the use of these things within the church. He's not saying that if a person, I mean, wouldn't you like to know me if I could go out and raise the dead uh, through the week? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Oh, that'd be terrible. It would not be terrible if God used me to touch people and they were risen from the dead. It wouldn't be terrible if I went down to Mount Carmel and laid hands on every cancer patient and they lived. That would be phenomenal. But what God says, if you do that but you don't love me, you're not doing anything. Can you see the comparison? The comparison is not between a dumb thing and here we said it, except the Lord Build the house, they that labor in vain. We want to say, well, we, don't, we shouldn't build. Are you, are you following the logic here, where I'm going? We see the word vain written here by the one who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. The man who wrote a whole book, Christina, about vanity. And he says, it's vain to do these things. He understands what he means. He wasn't a man who didn't do stuff. He was a man who did more stuff than anybody else. The entire theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is vanity, is vanities. All is vanities. Pointlessness in our own pursuits. Only a man who has it all can say it's all vanity. That could be the quote of the day. Only a man who's had it all can say all is vanity. And that was the purpose of Solomon. God gave him all. So you know what he could say? It's all vanity. He had a 700 wives, 300 concubines, wealth beyond imagination, building accomplishments, all these things that he had, all this incredible wealth and wisdom. And what did he say? You know what? In the end, it's all pointless, meaningless, in vain, without what? Without God. 
He not only has come to know the stuff is vanity, but his efforts were as well. Because sometimes in our little immature Christianity, when we do efforts and some good things come from it, we want God to be impressed. God's not impressed with you. But you can be a co-laborer with God. I'll tell you what, when I get to be a co-laborer with God, it's a pretty great thing. When I am doing something God has sent me to do, and I watch God bless it and something amazing happen, I giggle on the sidelines, but I don't giggle on the sidelines going, while I was sleeping in all day and while I wasn't doing anything, look what God did. That's never how the story goes. Yeah, the story goes, yeah. I taught eight Bible studies a week and I stayed up half the night and I was doing this and I was doing that. And you're not saying that to impress anybody. You're saying, I took seriously the fact that God had sent me to work. You see, God had challenged me to leave my job and not to worry about earning money. And I said, well, I tell you what, I'm not going to worry about money, but I'm going to worry about working. Because a man of God told me one time, he said, you put in your time working for God and I guarantee he'll take care of you. And I didn't have a job to take care of me. And I thought, I'm going to be punching the clock for Jesus. And so I'm not just going to go, well, it won't really matter what I do today. That's not how I live. Do you guys know what I do? Do you know where I am and what I do? You don't. And you know what? That's okay with me. Because God is watching me and he knows what I'm doing and he looks at me and he knows whether I'm being lazy and living for myself and building a comfortable lifestyle for myself or not. We are co-laborers with God. And that feels good and that's okay. You see, when you know that you work with God and you know that every success that happens in your life, every amazing moment that you have is because God is your co-laborer, then you can work like a madman and have fun doing it and never feel the pride of accomplishment, but you can feel the faith that rises inside. Solomon was saying that even the best we have to offer God must be coupled with his grace and his will and his plan. It is not wasted effort, but it doesn't count like we often think it does. Ultimately, we cannot make plants grow. We can water them, we can plant them, but we cannot make them grow. We cannot save people, but we can sow the seed and we should be. Jesus said, all power is given unto me. Talk about a a sovereignty verse. All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Therefore, don't do anything, because I got it. Is that what Jesus said? All power is given unto me. So what? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature that you can. Baptize them, teach them everything that I said. He put out a plan that said all power is given unto me and I can do all things right, but I need you to go work, work, work. I need you to go reach and preach the gospel and visit the sick and visit the lonely and the persecuted and the poor and the hurting and love them and be a light that is set on a hill. You can work because I will work with you. He's not saying don't work because I'm doing all the work. He's inviting us on a day, a work day with dad. Verse three, low children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. You know, if you memorize this like so many of us did years ago, you might go, he's He's taking a turn. But 
this song has one point here. And what he's doing is he's gone from building buildings and watching over whole cities to where he's just brought it home to Jeff Brownfield's house. Bam! In five seconds, right? You're like, well, I'm not watching any whole city and I'm not building a temple and I ain't any... And he just, but this is, this is through the wisdom of Solomon, through the prophetic move of the Holy Spirit, he says, children are a heritage of the Lord. What is he doing? He's just dialed it straight to you, to the work that you're doing, that he's given you to do in the little thing that's right in front of you. The fruit of the womb is his reward. He brings it to this personal level, relatable for all of us here. Solomon speaks of our children. Yes, This should help shape our attitude about our children as they are little blessings. They're not uh, burdens. They are rewards from God. Yes, that's what they are. But but that's not what the point of this verse is. This is not a homeschool large family verse to stick on our wall to prove that we do right while all the rest of the world are a bunch of morons. That's not what this verse is. It is a verse to remind us of something that we cannot forget. These words speak to the source of children and the blessing of them in our lives. It is not to our credit as though they belong to us in the way that we often think of them. What we have been a part of for a long time, and I am thankful we are not part of it anymore, is we have been encouraged to be proud of what you can't be proud of. There was, a, there was a woman in my church, and I, don't, I just thought of this. In fact, they were twin sisters, okay? And they looked just alike, and they had the cutest little short hair you've ever seen. Now, for none of you, for you, they, it doesn't, does that mean anything to you? See, growing up in our church, a woman with long, beautiful hair, the longer and more beautiful her hair was, the more holy she was, because we believed that. That's what we were taught. So, Rachel, you could go to that church, honey, let your hair down, and they'd be like, oh, hallelujah, she's a holy roller. But Sister Rensel and Sister Height, who were married to two men of our church, these women were uh, gray-haired, they were old women, but they always had this little short hair. Do you know their hair just wouldn't grow? They never touched scissors to it their whole life. And they knew that. But you know what they didn't have? They didn't have the glorious, beautiful hair. Was that their fault, Joy? Does a person make your hair grow on your head? The way, well, I guess you can now, you know, weave it in or whatever. But the glory of it, the glory of this is, this had nothing to do with them, right? See, this is what is being taught here. You know, can, can a person control whether they can have children or not? Can they control how many they can have? I remember... You know, I know people that they're part of the the, the large family whole school. How many kids do you have? Oh, you only got one. Yeah, we got got 14. We're hoping to max out at 27. Those Duggars are slackers, you know, whatever. But we take something beautiful and lovely and marvelous and we make it about who? 
Look what I can do. Look how organized my kids can be. Look how, look how uh, well-educated and how good they can play this and how they can do this. And look how much smarter we are than the world because they're so stupid because they can't even teach their kids to read. They, blah, 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 blah. What, do they, what do they do? You make a whole thing about who? It's about you. It's a pride factory. Imagine if we understood that Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb are his reward. What if if we understood that was a a thing that is supposed to take away our pride in our own accomplishment? Look how many we had. (laughs) Look how great we are. We're going to change the whole world. We're going to have so many kids. We're going to overwhelm them because they're all going to be so godly and so amazing. Now, am I against amazing, godly, big, beautiful families that love God? No, I'm not. But I'm certainly not for the idea that somehow, when, because we were given them by God, the giver, the blesser, that we're more blessed than those that didn't get them. Or maybe some, they can't, you know, they can't raise that many. They don't know how to do that. They're unable. So, well, they're slackers. I mean, really? And it's a joke, but it's not funny. We, we risk entering into a culture like the, 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 our patriarchs did, that when a woman couldn't have a baby, it was a shame. She was stricken. She was afflicted of God. It was a mark against her that she was not a woman. And they cried and they wept and they said, Oh, Lord, give me children. Why? Because it was a mark in their society that God had removed his favor. Now, that's not true because the greatest women of the Bible were barren women. Were they not? who God gave children to because God was trying to bring this very point that we're hearing in Psalm 127. It's the point, I want to raise up a nation so I'm going to make it come from a 100-year-old man and an 80-year-old woman who never had a baby. I'm going to raise up a judge, so I'm going to give a, a baby here. I'm going to send a great prophet to replace Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to a barren woman and give her a baby so that she gives it back to me. Folks, that's what's being taught here in Psalm 127. It is not a verse to celebrate how great we are because children are not a burden to us, but a blessing. It is one to remind us that they're God's and that they're his gifts and that he gives them to who he wants to give them to and that you didn't earn them and you didn't impress God, and you're not impressive because they're at your house. They speak to the source of children and the blessing of them in our lives, and it is not to our credit as though they belong to us in a way we often think of them. We can see them too much as our own and not on loan from God. They are eternal creatures who will not be ours in eternity so much as they are God's. I don't know if you remember the great divorce written by C.S. Lewis how that mother who is in hell wants to get her son who's in heaven to come and be with her because she is his, she belongs to him. And you know what God said to, you know, in this scenario, in this fictional work, I have a more ancient relationship with that boy than you do, woman. And even though you want him to join you in your hell, he's going to be in heaven with me because he's mine. You ever think of your kids like that? You ever think of the little one that's around you? They are gods. They will be grown-ups in heaven. They won't be children. They won't be yours in the fact that they'll be there for you. They will be a blessing God has given you 
so that you can be thankful to him because you, yeah, you made them in a sense, but what were you but co-laborers with God? That's what's happening here in Psalm 127. This is dialing down closer and closer and closer to you and to me. God loves our children. They are ours to steward and to teach. It's a gift from God to us and for us and for our blessing. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. God gave them to us. He put them in our lives and they will be for much good, but not because of us, not because of the efforts we put into them, but because they are God's gifts to us. Like Hannah, we give them back, but God, not because their existence depended on us entirely, but because they came from and belonged to God. That's the value of your children. When our children are not all that we want them to be, and when what they are is a reflection of you so much so that you can't get over it, it's, a, it's sinful. We've, they're gods. We cannot lament what they are, give them up. Hey, they're ours. God gave them. They're ours. But we get mad if they don't live up to what we think they should be because we feel we failed them or they're not good enough or whatever it is. It's no worse than the guy who wants his kid always to be the quarterback, but he isn't, so his kid's never good enough. Folks, our kids are what they are. Love them. Steward them. You cannot hold them in your heart like this and allow them to destroy your life or make your life the greatest thing in the world. It can't be like that. It's wonderful when something good happens and we get to take part in it. And it's wonderful that when they suffer, we want to be there to help them. It's true. But we cannot, at the core of it all, believe it is about us because it's not. Verse 5, the last verse, it talks about this happy man. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. You see, the happiness comes when the man realizes they're God's kids and that they were gifts. They didn't come because we were so faithful. They didn't come because we were so Christian. They didn't come because God loves us so much. He thought we'd be the most amazing parents in the whole wide world. They came because God is good and he's lovely and he's kind and he gives us a little you know, Talia and Arabella, and we, you know, bounce them around and we hold them and we love them and we take pictures of them and they're ours and you know what I'm saying? It's all that, but, but who are they? They're gods. But we're so messed up. We, we try to garner from them what really is not theirs. It's not ours to take. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. They shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Ultimately, what God says and what God is teaching here in this psalm is that he is the builder, he is the watcher, he is the blesser, and that knowing that should cause us very much so. If he's the worker, what do we want to do? We want to go to work with dad. If he's the watcher, what do we want to do when we're staying up late, when we're loving our children? when we're watching out for their souls, when we're watching out for our brothers and sisters in this church, what do we do? We take it seriously like a soldier that might be executed if you fall asleep. But in the end, you can't take the credit for being the brave one. 
because the truth is you know we'd all be asleep on the job had God not help us to be awake does that make sense that's what's being taught in Psalm 127 and he is the blesser all the good things that come in our life are not the fruit of our goodness they are the fruit of the goodness of God they are not the result of our great efforts they are the result of his blessing upon us what does the Bible say prove me if I will not pour out a blessing upon you that you cannot contain I am a blessed man I love my children I'm thankful for my wife but they are not a credit to me they are a credit to God that's what Psalm 127 is teaching today may it be may it ring in our hearts and our lives and our minds and may we say I'm ready to grow up a little bit I'm ready to I'm ready to detach from believing that everything that happens with the work that I do with the children that I have with the responsibilities I've been given I'm ready to detach from it and realize that it's if I can plant and I can water but I can't give the increase I can be there and I can work but my work may not last and I can have great things in my life and great blessings but they're not there because I'm great they're there because he's good and he's lovely and he's perfect amen that's what Psalm 127 says let's say let's pray Heavenly Father we love you we thank you for loving us and we thank you for our children we thank you for our work we thank you for the things that we do that may or may not last oh we want them to last so much Lord we want not to just be spinning our wheels in frivolity and insanity Lord purge us with fire burn away the dross burn away the the things we build that need to be destroyed Lord we know in the end that you will save us but we're asking you today not just to save us in the end but to save our work too Lord we want to be rewarded in heaven we want to be able to rejoice even more even more that you have been our co-laborer our watchman and our blesser in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said amen thank you so much for joining us today I pray your time with us was very encouraging if it was consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us 